Please turn back to that portion that we read a little while earlier, Jeremiah chapter 3. And we really want to consider the words of verse number 14 this evening. Jeremiah chapter 3 and the verse number 14. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. And I will take you, one of a city, and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. With the Word of God open before us, let us pray. Pray for the Holy Ghost to come down amongst us, and pray for the Lord to speak to our hearts this evening. Almighty God, as we're bowed in Thy presence, we thank Thee, Lord, for the inspired pages of Holy Scripture. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we can trust thy word. We thank you that it is absolute truth. That, Lord, we have a standard, Lord, in the word of God. We know, Lord, what is expected of us. And, Lord, how far short we fall of that expectation that is required of us in the Scriptures. Lord, as we come now to study thy word, I pray, Lord, that it would be applied to the hearts of men and women through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray, empty me of self, Lord, empty me of trusting in my own skill, Lord, in my own flesh. Lord, I pray, empty me that I might be filled with Thy Holy Spirit. Empty my mouth, Lord, that I might be filled with Thy Word. And Lord, I pray that You would apply Your Word to the hearts of each and every one that is gathered in here tonight and those who are listening in online. Lord, we need Thee to move. We need Thee to speak. We need Thee to give the increase to Thy Word. Lord, therefore, to that end, we pray, come and speak to our hearts this evening. We ask all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. What makes the ideal husband? I'm just scanning down here into the congregation and I can see that there's a couple of wives that are maybe nudging their husbands right beside them and they're saying, boy, you pay attention. Because this young man, he's only been married six months, but he knows what makes the ideal husband. I've been married 40 years and he's about to tell me what is right in a marriage. If you go digging uh, into the internet, if you go searching through all the internet sites and finding uh, websites that will tell you very different opinions and very different characteristics of what makes the ideal husband. One article, it stated that a husband will be respectful, trustworthy, honest, loving. Another article, it stated some other qualities such as patient, wise, compassionate. And in practically all of those articles that I scanned through, uh, there's one trait, one characteristic that always crops up time and time again. Perhaps the most important characteristic of any husband, uh, the most important characteristic of any uh, spouse, whatever it may be, it is that of faithfulness, loyalty. And it's something that naturally flows from the marriage vows in that line, till death do us part. We all know the importance that that is an important part of marriage, being faithful to your husband, being faithful to your wife. Without loyalty, without commitment in a marriage, it would fall apart. I asked my wife before I came out, Lauren, what makes the ideal husband? 
And she started describing a man that I have no idea who he is, and it's starting to worry me a little bit. I was just expecting her to say, well, an ideal husband is you, really, but that's not the answer that I got. It wasn't the answer, it was the answer I was looking for, but not the one that I received. But faithfulness in a marriage, that is the key. That is what makes an ideal husband. If he is faithful, then everything else falls into place. And when we come to this chapter in Jeremiah chapter 3, we see that this is the issue that the Lord has with his people. Their lack of faithfulness. Their lack of loyalty to him. They were unfaithful to the Lord. They, they served other gods of the nations that were surrounding them. They had committed idolatry. Now we see that the Lord is responding to their sin. What wonderful faithfulness we see on display there in verse number 12. Verse number 12 of Jeremiah chapter 3. We see there that the Lord says, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Even though his people, the children of Israel, even though they had been unfaithful, even though they had been an unloving bride to their Lord, yet he was still a faithful bridegroom to them. And this is seen time and time again throughout Scripture, throughout the history of the children of Israel, throughout the history even of the church. We see this happen time and time again. Christ, the faithful bridegroom. Israel, the church, his unfaithful bride. And I wonder, is that the case in your life this evening? Are you being unfaithful to the Lord, even after the many wonderful things, the many wonderful blessings that He has bestowed upon you in your life? For a short while this evening, I would like us to consider Christ's words to His bride. Christ's words to His bride. Because here in Isaiah or Jeremiah chapter 3, in the verse 14, I believe firstly we see His words of command. He says there at the start of verse number 14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Four times in this chapter, four times in chapter 3 alone, we read those words to turn or to return to Him. Verse number 1, number 12, number 14, and verse number 22 as well. So why did they have to turn? Well, it was because Israel at this time was a backslidden nation. They had forgotten the Lord. They had laid off worship for the Lord. If we were to read the previous chapter, Jeremiah chapter 2, we would see how they had fallen away from worshiping God and they had fell and consumed, um, were now consumed with idol worship. Worshiping false gods, worshiping idols made by man's hands. Let us not forget that the nation of Israel had been blessed in abundance by the Lord. He brought them out of bondage in Egypt. Their cry went up to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron to deliver the children of Israel from bondage. He provided for them in the wilderness heavenly bread, manna sent from heaven. The Lord gave them these things, water from the rock. He led them to the promised land, Canaan, he gave them godly kings, such as David and Hezekiah. The list goes on and on of the many blessings that were outpoured on the children of Israel. 
And in chapter 2, in verse number 28, there in Jeremiah, we see that the Lord asks Israel a very potent question. Because of their idolatry, He asks the question, Where are thy gods that thou hast made thee? Let them arise if they conceived thee in the time of thy trouble. Where were these gods when they were coming up to the Red Sea? Had no way to cross. They weren't there. The Lord was there. Where were these gods when they were starving in the wilderness? They weren't there. The Lord was there. Where were these gods when the fiery serpents came into the camp? Because of the judgment of the Lord. They weren't there. But the Lord was there with His children each and every day. These idols, they had no power to do anything. They had no power to save anyone. They were inanimate objects. Yet the Lord had delivered His people time and time again. And these false idols which they served had never delivered them or had never done anything for them in their life. And this is why God calls the people, calls the children of Israel to turn and to return to Him. They no longer served the Lord. They no longer had love for the Lord. They no longer wished to spend time in His presence. And I ask you, gathered in here tonight, it's good to see you in the house of God, and that encourages and it thrills my soul. But I want to ask you a question. Is that you tonight? Are you perhaps far away from the Lord? Yes, you're here in the house of God, but perhaps is your heart far away from Him? You don't Spend time as you used to with the Lord. If the Lord was to look upon your life right now, would He say the words of Revelation 2 verse 4 written over your life? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Perhaps you can remember a time when every day you were excited to get into the Word of God, excited to learn more about God. You remember spending time throughout the whole day in prayer, driving to work in prayer, being in work in prayer, coming home from work in prayer, enjoying your family time in prayer. But now you've left your first love. Scripture warned us, and Scripture does still warn us, of a time when men's hearts will grow cold in their faith. Matthew 24, verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I wonder, is your love for your Savior waxed cold? Has it grown cold and steel? If so, listen to the command of the Lord in this verse. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Consider the words of verse 12. He will not cause His anger to be upon thee forever. Remember that He is your heavenly Father. His anger was only for a time. The Lord is merciful to those that repent of their sin, to those that come back unto Him. And therefore, He commands tonight, turn, backsliding children. Is that you tonight? What if you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation? Those words backslider couldn't even be written over your life. What if you have never placed your faith in Christ to take away your sin? Well then please take heed to the next point that we want to consider. Not only his words of command, but think of his words of consideration. 
Read there verse number 14 again. It says, Turn no backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married to you. For I am married to you. Six very simple words. And yet their meaning, when we truly grasp them, has such a profound impact on our lives. The Lord is married to his people. He is the bridegroom of the believer. We see in Isaiah 54 verse 5, it says there, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Christ is the husband of his people. What a blessed thought. The very creator of this world. Yet he loved us enough to come into this world, die for our sins, redeem us unto himself, and choose us to be his bride. I want us to think briefly about that, what that statement means. For I am married to you. It means that we are the peculiar treasure of Christ. Exodus 19 verse 5, it says there, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Notice that it is conditional upon us keeping his covenant, being obedient to his word. Husbands are called to treasure their wives. We are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What a love that is. A love that I know I do not emulate enough. But just as the husband treasures his wife and therefore loves her and cherishes her too, so too does the Lord, his bride, those that are saved, his peculiar treasure, and he values them as such. Child of God, Rejoice in this tonight. Rejoice in this fact that you are a peculiar treasure unto the Lord. You're precious in His sight. What a joy that is. You know your heart. I know my heart. We spoke about it this morning. How that we are to keep our hearts. We're to examine our hearts. You know what you have done before the Lord. Yet the Lord still calls you precious. What a joy. What a thought that should thrill our hearts that we are precious, peculiar, a treasure unto the Lord. Now, the children of Israel at this time, as we have said, they, they were backslidden. They did not love the Lord as they ought. They did love the Lord at a time. We see that in the previous chapter in Jeremiah. Please turn back there. Jeremiah chapter 2 and the verse number 2. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Here it says, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. We all know and we all hear about in marriages and in relationships about that honeymoon period where there is nothing but love and joy in the relationship. I believe that I'm still in the honeymoon period with my wife. You ask her, I don't know what answer you'll get. But there's that honeymoon period. Everything is rosy. Everything is joyful. No task is too big to accomplish for your spouse. And if you are saved in here this evening, if you're walking with Christ, if you're in the Lord, 
then you will know the joy of that first time that you experienced the Lord. That first time that you tasted of the Lord's goodness. That first time that you were shown the great mercy and love of God toward your soul. When you first came to trust in Christ, how sweet He was. How wonderful it was to spend time with Him. But now I wonder, is perhaps the honeymoon period with your Savior over? Have you grown cold to His Word? Let me tell you, you perhaps do not love Him as He ought to be loved, but He still loves you with an everlasting love. His love has never diminished. His faithfulness has never diminished. He has never stopped caring for you. And therefore I urge you to do what the Lord called Jeremiah to tell the people, to turn. Turn and return again unto the Lord. Even though we have broke God's law, even though we have broke God's word time and time again, He remains faithful to His people. He remains faithful to His bride. Jeremiah 31 verse 32, the Lord says, My covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Even when we let the Lord down, He remains married to His people. What a marvelous thought that is. We, unfaithful, but the Lord remains faithful. Think of that great hymn that we love to sing. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Do you recognize how faithful the Lord has been to you? We see now in our society that divorce has become such a, a little thing. It's estimated that in the States that up to 45 marriages, or 45% of marriages end in divorce. Almost half of the marriages now in our world, they will end in divorce. Therefore, it seems that divorce is no longer a last resort for those that cannot work through their marital problems, but it is a quick and easy fix. The first response when things go wrong. Does it not sadden us to hear of those who enter into a marriage, those who enter into a covenant with each other, and they become the wronged party? Perhaps their spouse commits adultery. Perhaps their spouse abandons them. They have broke the promises that they made in the marriage vows. When we hear of these things, it saddens us. But how much worse is it when we commit spiritual adultery to the Lord? If ever, now listen to this child of God, if ever there was one who had grounds, and even biblical grounds, for divorce, it was the Lord. We as His people are so unfaithful to Him. I stand before you tonight and I hold my hands up. I, as his bride, am an unfaithful spouse. But yet he is long-suffering. He is plenteous in mercy. If ever there was one that had grounds for divorce on the basis of unfaithfulness, on the basis of abandonment, it would have been the Lord. But he abideth faithful. He abideth faithful to his people. And what a wonderful treasure that is to know that God is faithful even when we are not.
And this marriage to the Lord, of the Lord to His people, it is described in Hosea chapter 2. Please turn with me there for a brief moment. Just after the book of Daniel, you'll find that book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 2 and verse number 19. Hosea 2, verse 19. Here the Word of God says, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. Believer, you are betrothed unto the Lord. What a glorious thought. We see that for the rest of time here, it says, I will betroth thee unto me forever. We're betrothed unto the Lord in an eternal marriage that we enjoy with our God. And when you live with your husband or live with your wife, their qualities can end up rubbing off on you. Some positive, some negative. I know that in my marriage, I bring all the negative, or I bring all the negative qualities to the marriage my wife brings all the positive qualities to the marriage. She rubs off well on me. I rub off quite poorly on her. But when you're in that relationship, when you're married and together in a house, those qualities of each other, they rub off on each other. I'm sure that you can discuss when you get home. Don't discuss it here in church, but you can discuss which of you has the better qualities that rub off on each other. But in our relationship with the Lord, It's His righteousness that is given to us. His wonderful qualities that don't just rub off on us, but are imputed to us. His wonderful righteousness is given to us. We are no longer clothed in the rags of sin, but we are given a perfect righteousness, a perfect garment of righteousness by our bridegroom. And when God now looks on us, He only sees the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to our account. And He welcomes us into His family. What a joy, Christian. What a, do- what a joy, child of God. Does it not thrill your heart? We see more of that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. It says, There for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ is married spiritually to those that are redeemed. Whilst I wouldn't agree with everything he writes, John Piper, he he said of marriage, and he had a very good quote on it. He said, The meaning of marriage is the display of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His people. The meaning of marriage is the display of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His people. Notice there at the end, he doesn't say that it's between His people and Christ. It is Christ that loves us in that covenant-keeping love. Therefore, believer backslider. Take heart and comfort tonight. The Lord is married to you. Are you perhaps far away in the fields of sin? Are you perhaps deep into the world, deep in the flesh? You can remember a time when you loved the Lord, but now your love has grown cold. He will never leave you, even though you have left Him. We are bound in marriage union to the Son of God. 
who loved us and gave his life to save us. And in Bible times, it was customary for a bride price to be paid. That is, that a price would be paid to the family of the bride, and this would allow the marriage to take place. I know that the price that I was to pay for Lauren, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. No way. Alan would not have allowed me. But in the case of Jacob and Rachel, we see that Jacob, he served, he toiled for 14 long years to have his bride, Rachel. And in the case of Christ and his bride, Christ, that Christ, the price that Christ paid was his own precious blood to redeem us. That bride price that he paid to unite us to him. He died on the cross to save us from our sin. Let me make it more personal than that. He died on the cross to save you from your sin. And to unite you to him in marriage union. Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Then when we're saved, we are, we are invited into the family of God and we are given access to all of the great riches that are found in being a bride of Christ. And so I come now to address those of you that are perhaps outside of Christ. You've never received him into your heart. You've never asked Him to save you from your sin and to give you that new heart. You don't know what it's like to be in this marriage union with the Lord of glory. I tell you tonight, Christ died to purchase your redemption. He has died so that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So therefore, I ask you the question, will you come tonight and accept Him? Will you be united to the best bridegroom that you could ever be united to in this life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be united to Him in the greatest marriage that you can have in this life. That is being united in marriage to Christ. Not only are there His words of consideration, but finally I would like us to consider His words of consolation. We see the words of consolation that the Lord gives here in verse number 14. He says, I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. I will bring you to Zion. Now, in the context of this verse, the Lord is promising to bring His people, the children of Israel, to Mount Zion, which is a hill in the city of Jerusalem. But I want us to consider the consolation that the Lord gives to us as His church, us as His people who have been redeemed by His blood, that one day He will bring us to the Zion above, that great city, that perfect city of heaven. We see reference of Zion being used synonymously with heaven in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. It says there, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Heaven is the place of eternal delight, and the wonderful thing is that we can do nothing to get there ourselves. Let me say that again. The wonderful thing is that we can do nothing to get there ourselves. Listen again to the end of verse number 14. What does it say there? It doesn't say that you will go to Zion, that you will make your own way to Zion. No, the Lord here promises, I will bring you to Zion. 
We can try and work to get to heaven. We can do all that we can to reach that land of eternal rest. We can do nothing to reach heaven of our own strength. What joy that brings us. Because if it were left to us, we would never reach it. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. The only way to enter the gates of heaven. So how can we get to heaven, design above? Well, it is by repenting of our sins, turning from them, and placing our full trust and faith in Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. The one who came from the Zion above to live a perfect life of obedience, to then die on the cross, to bear away your sin, to bear away your guilt. There upon the cross, Christ suffered for our sin, died to make us righteous in the sight of God, that we might enjoy eternal bliss with Him forever. Earlier we spoke of how believers are married to the Lord, and that's a wonderful and glorious union. And in the marriage vows, if you're married, or perhaps if you've seen a wedding, you've been in attendance to a wedding, you'll all know those lines in the wedding, till death do us part. This is a promise of faithfulness, until death separates the two, until death takes one away from the other. But for the believer, for those that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, death is not a parting from Christ, but it will unite us eternally to Christ. It will unite us eternally to our bridegroom. At the point of death, the believer leaves this earth. They go to be with Christ, which the Scripture tells us is far better. And we see many descriptions of heaven in the book of Revelation. How it is a place that has streets of gold, crystal flowing rivers, gates of pearl, all the many gems and jewels that are found in that city. A beautiful picture is painted for us of heaven. But I want you to know that heaven is not eternal bliss because of those streets of gold, because of that crystal clear river running through it. No, heaven is eternal bliss because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of glory, is there waiting for His people. And when I say He is the Son of heaven, I both mean the Son, S-O-N, and the Son, S-U-N. We, I'm sure we all know how gravity works. It's the sun in our solar system. It, all of our planets revolve around the sun. Without it, our universe would cease to exist. It is the focal point of our universe. Similarly, all of our focus, all of our attention, all of our time in heaven will be taken up with the worship of the Son of God, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. This is the reason that heaven is eternal bliss for the believer. And what a joy that is. John MacArthur, he said, Heaven is a realm of unsurpassed joy, unfaded glory, undiminished bliss, unlimited delights, and unending pleasure. And therefore, I close this evening by asking you a very simple question. Will you go there? Will you be in heaven one day? Are you going to this eternal home, the Zion above? The only way to heaven, it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He redeemed to save us from our sin, to purchase us back unto himself, and to purchase this eternal home for us in heaven. And so, for those of you outside of Christ tonight, 
Will you not accept him into your heart? Will you not want to say, mine, 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 I know that thou art mine. Do you not want the Savior to be your Savior this evening? Come to him tonight. Know that you are going to that eternal city. Know that you are united to him in a marriage union that will never be dissolved. And child of God, I pray that you will take heart tonight knowing that you are united to Christ in marriage, in a marriage that will never be broken. In a marriage where although we may be unfaithful, he will abide faithful for eternity. Let's close in prayer. Our God and our Father, Lord, we thank you for the words here that we find in Jeremiah 3, verse 14. That you are married to your people. Lord, what a glorious thought that the perfect Son of God would ever take to be his bride fallen, sinful humanity. Lord, what love, what mercy we see displayed in our Savior at the cross of Calvary. When he cried, it is finished. The work of redemption was accomplished for us on our behalf. Now he invites us to be married to him, to be his bride. Lord, we do pray that each and every one in this building, each and every one listening online, would come to know this great bridegroom and would trust him for their eternal salvation. We ask, Lord, that thy people would be encouraged and being reminded of this very fact that they are united to Christ in a marriage that lasts for eternity. Lord, write thy word upon our heart. We ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We have a closing hymn, the hymn 352, that tells us of that melody that is within the heart of those that are saved.